I'm um, a millennial. I think that's, are you really? Yeah, I'm the first first or second year, I think. What year is that? I need to know when when does the millennial begin and when does um, the Gen X begin? I think it begins 81. in 81 and I'm 82. Oh my God. I thought for sure you guys were in the same uh, generation as us. That's how out of touch Gen Xers are, I guess. to a great start <laughs> and that's what i always do i always hit my head on stuff <laughs> cheers cheers anna <laughs> cheers andy do you have a concussion are you all right <laughs> uh i don't know <laughs> there's does, so many does it really matter so I mean, many <laughs> podcast episodes where you can hear me hitting my head on I the know. microphone i don't think anyone including myself will notice if i did or not so had a concussion i mean Hopefully I would notice, but uh, I'll just drink and take a nap. <laughs> there you go. Just nap it off. Uh, welcome to episode 49 of the podcast. That's a lot of episodes. That is drinks, podcasts, all of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, lucky seven times seven, right? Yeah. 49, 7 times 7. Yep. Double 7. Isn't that what you roll? Or is it a total of 7 in in the in the dice game at the casinos? At craps? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I actually don't know what the rule. I don't never really. I just know snake eyes is a thing. Well, that's bad, right? I don't know. That's the, in the movies. It's always like lucky number seven winner. Ah, snake eyes. Ah. Yeah, I, I don't understand I, how um, that game works. When I was like twenty one, we used to play craps at like after parties after the bar. I don't remember how to play it, but I was I would win money. Don't you, we would bet money? Don't you need like an official like craps table? No. I mean, I know it's not like roulette where you need the the spinny wheel marble thing, but. Do you just need like a level? It's just rolling separate? dice, right? I, I don't know. Well, they always have those big tables that are that are deep set in and mm-hmm. have. It's to contain all of the dice throwing. <laughs> well, there's just two. <laughs> but aren't there? I guess that's for for the bets, huh? like the lines and the markings and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, so, welcome to the Casino <laughs> Experts episode. <laughs> Because <laughs> if there's one thing we know, it's gambling. It's casino games. There was a, uh, I think maybe the last time I went to Vegas, um, it was uh, it was it was a lot like that um, that alternative casino they went to in the Vegas Vacation movie, mm-hmm. because there was uh, you know the standard table games like blackjack and um. Texas Hold'em and, you know, all those <laughs> things like that, you know, because I know all about games. But there was actually one that was it was called like War Casino War. And it was literally just dealer puts down a card in front of you, deals himself a card, flips yours over, is over. If it's higher, you win. If it's what? lower. Why yeah. would you bet money on that? It's so it's like I won like a hundred bucks. Nice. Oh, you played it because <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was like a five. <laughs> well, that was the only one I could understand quickly enough to because you know I'm, I have a, a, I, a, a fleeting basic familiarity with casino games like craps and and it's mostly just the betting. Like I don't understand when you're supposed to bet a certain thing and what mm-hmm. what something means. So this one was straightforward and simple. Okay, here's here's five dollars. Hope I if win. If my card's higher, I win. I have ten dollars now. And if I lose, it's zero dollars. So I did, and it was it was a good time killer too, because it um, actually no, it wasn't. I mean, it was a good time killer because you know I won like a hundred dollars in like two minutes, because it doesn't take that long to play. It's just one card, one card, it's over. Play again, one card, one card. You could just as over. easily lose a hundred dollars in two minutes. Uh yes, and uh, much like 
uh, kid Icarus. I did fly too close to the sun and <laughs> lost the hundred dollars that I won. Oh. Yeah, I tend to play blackjack. If I yeah, you were. Uh, I was on a hot getting, streak for a getting while. Getting into that for a while, yeah. Yeah, you, could... uh, you know when when we back when we went to casinos every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But that's why we started with the buffet because that's a bet. You're always gonna win. Well, not me. <laughs> My sensitive stomach. <laughs> yeah. Well, plus you know the uh, the seafood section was always a little. <laughs> right. A little questionable. People using their hands. Mm. I can't believe that person was upset with you for being upset. Yeah. Them. I I mentioned it on on a couple podcast episodes ago where I like clicked the tongs at a guy <laughs> for using his hands in the shrimp. Clicked. <laughs> this is well pre COVID. Um. What are we uh, What are we drinking today? Okay. So <laughs> first of all, um, I made a video and. After the video began, I realized that the concoction looked like the blood of my enemies. Um, it is a beet root powder vodka that I made today. So it's like that dark, 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 dark red. Um, and I put with um, like a zero carb sugar honey substitute, um, lemon, egg white, and a dash of rose water. So... Um, you know, watch the video if you want to see how to make that um, or obviously message me if you have any questions on how to do it. But um, I've called this one. Give me a beat. Well, that's fine. Like the beginning of Nasty Boys by Janet Jackson. <laughs> Give me a beat. Uh, isn't there also a song by the Go-Go's? Oh, and that's We Got the Beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also the Beat Goes On. Or... Uh... Turn the beat around. Ooh. I thought of all those uh, to use, but we landed on Give Me a Beat because we were listening to Janet Jackson in the car. So why do we need a beat pun? Uh, well, today's podcast is going to be about uh, working in record stores. Yeah, so we, um, we went on a little uh, film excursion where we were thinking about... Um, Films with characters that worked in record stores and just, you know, how that kind of shaped a lot of, I guess, where where we sort of wanted to work. And some of us mm-hmm. uh, reached the, the proverbial summit and that we were able to work in record stores. And so we uh, we have a treat for um, a little bit later on with um, our new to friend to the podcast, but old friend to me, um, John Lloyd, who will be joining us um, in just a bit to talk about his experience, uh, actually almost like co-running a record store, a volunteer experience. It's really interesting. Um, But we were just, we, you know, we're nerdy kids that were into various types of of music. And, um, you know, because of the age that I am, I was alive and to be able to experience music in eight track record vinyl cassette compact disc and now digital streaming forms um so it was always kind of just fascinating to me how the, how that planned out my dad had a car with an eight track in it. Mm-hmm. It was a, coug- a cougar, and it was like banana yellow. Mm. Well, it was it was lighter. It was like a a lighter yellow, but like creamier banana. The first one I remember was my dad had a tan Oldsmobile uh, ninety eight, which was tan like not tan, the year ninety ten. Yeah, that was just the model number. Right. It was like seventy something. Uh, and this thing was, it, it, I think, believe it had two bench seats and that was back where there were other, you know, I think there were seat belts in it, but we never wore them. So I just sort of sat in the front bench seat and just slid around as my dad would, you know, make turns and stuff like that uh-huh. because you know, I need to be buckled in. Just like the Cougar. Right. And, uh, yeah, he had an eight track player and, uh, he, he would, 
on long road trips would would put in his eight tracks. I don't remember what we listened to. I just remember that was the first time I'd ever seen one. Because even then, it was like a little outdated. Mm-hmm. And this was in yeah, like the late eighties. Yeah, I I remember seeing them and like what is this contraption and and I guess cassette well records and cassettes were starting to become just more commonplace, especially in um, vehicle auto audio situations. But um, I want to say I've never heard of a car with a record player. My dad is (laughs) my dad's interesting. He's purchased like maybe maybe ten. uh, records in his entire life or the entire time that I've known him. I mean, that's how little, not how little he listens to music, but he's just not, he's, he's one of those, he's fine with the radio, um, whatever it is. And so as, as, um, you know, technology has increased, we've tried to, to bring him kicking and screaming into the, you know, by, by buying him, um, records and, and, cassettes and cds and all stuff for his vehicles and um i mean he just you know he he's just a no fuss kind of kind of music person which was not um i don't know may have contributed to my going hog wild for records since an early age yeah i um i know i've mentioned this on the podcast before that that you get me records for the holiday season usually and i can't think of other gifts so that's partly but i mean (laughs) but i love that that's our tradition now um and it it has caused me to revisit some of my earliest memories of having those vinyls so like the copy of deborah gibson's electric youth that you got me which or sorry it's debbie at that time she went by debbie she was debbie then now she's deborah um but uh but revisiting that, like, because it was one of my earliest, maybe first finals I ever got. So that was awesome. Being able to, like, l- like live that moment of my childhood again. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I got to put on a hat so that I could look like Debbie Gibson on the on the cover and in the videos. She wears a cool kid hat. That's right. The there's, current hipster hat. There's video, recent video of... of- of that yep <laughs> <laughs> out there somewhere yeah and i don't know if it's out there it's on it's on my I, phone it's in our phones <laughs> it's great so um i thought it'd be fun to just sort of talk about um maybe our our well we we're talking about record stores but what did you ever have like a fa- did you have a fascination with record stores like going to them? Did yeah. you ever want to work in one? I wanted to, but I was definitely not cool enough. Mm-hmm. I had friends that worked in them. Yeah. Well, there <laughs> as uh I'll speak to there's there's sort of two two sides to that. Um and I think it changed over time because I don't know, I think my first experiences with record stores was 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 one of of two things so guess when i first became aware of them that there was this object that you could put and it was actual records i guess because you could put them on a you know i had my first my little record player uh, that my parents got me in and play like either 40 those 45 singles um and with the exception of you know, maybe like a storybook or I think they got me like a, a Star Wars play along something or other where you, you know, you play the record and it tells you like a synopsis of the story, um, which was kind of cool. I think the first like 45 singles were what was popular on the radio at that time. And so <laughs> I have a lot of like early Bee Gees, not early Bee Gees, but like Bee Gees singles from Saturday Night Fever. Um, that would explain why you like it so much. Yeah, uh, until I actually watched the movie all the way through, right. which which my parents obviously didn't. Uh, if you've seen the movie, my parents didn't let me watch the movie um, because it's it's very dark and uh, you know problematic. Yeah, yeah, big time. Um, 
but then also I I like the Beatles. I remember that because that's what my older older siblings were into. And yeah, we were a mom, Beatles household as well. My mom loved uh, Elvis Presley, so I had a, a couple of those. Um, and then I think my my youngest older brother was the one who was started going through um, his music discovery phase, like in elementary, middle school, high school. So um, I I started listening to what he listened to, and so. In El Paso, there was one of two experiences. You could have, they had record stores in the mall, which is, you know, the mostly the top 40, the pop music stuff. And then there was one, it was still a record, like a chain record store called Sound Warehouse, but it wasn't in a mall, it was next to a Kmart. And that was the, the big record store. Uh, but it was still a chain store. I just, you know, I remember walking into it the first time thinking, this this place is huge. It's ginormous. And it's not even, you know, the size of some of the, uh, like the tower records or, or things that we see later on. I'm going to say like my first, other than like a chain, like a tower, my first, um, yeah, there was a warehouse music here, but my first like local record store that I ever went to was off the record which used to be on Fifth Avenue and Hillcrest. And it was right next to um, a clothing store that's still there called Flashbacks. So they were like kind of, they were just in tandem. Like you would go to one, you'd go to both. Um, And I was like 15 and thought I knew everything. And I would come to Hillcrest with my friends and go to the, you know, the record store and the thrift store, like the secondhand clothing store. And we would just like try to be cool. Um, And then, you know, that's why I kind of said like, oh, I wasn't cool enough to work there. Is because like we looked up to those people, mm-hmm. but then I became friends with like a lot of people that have worked there over time, and was even a roommate of one of them. And like, despite the idolatry, like they're just normal people like mm-hmm. us. Um, but yeah, like that was my probably first local local record store that I ever went to. Well, we didn't really have the. There was one um, local record store, and I don't remember what the original name was, but it. it I think it's called all that music now, or, um, I don't know, John, John and I get into that a little bit, but it was more of a, a niche, uh, maybe oldies nostalgic kind of place. Mm -hmm. But I think growing up like in the, in the eighties, um, like the mall, the mall record stores were the cool places to work. So that's where the cool people worked. And so that's where I aspired to work. But once, I think we started discovering, you know, alternative music and punk rock and and getting into th- things that weren't sold at those stores. Um, we John talks about uh, one place called the Headstand, which was a, a weird, um, you know, maybe our only independent record store where they had some of that. Um, but it wasn't until I left and and went to Austin for college until you know I saw some of actual like big independent record stores and um stores that specialized in like UCDs and and things like that where you could find all kinds of weird of weird shit um and those were where the cool kids the cool people worked um and you know I got a job finally in college at a record store at a music land. But then I realized I'm like, Oh, this isn't the cool music store. This is just, this <laughs> is just working at the mall, which is, there's nothing wrong obviously with working retail, but, um, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't quite, I didn't quite reach the summit. It was like the, the base camp before the summit. We have, um, in San Diego, like still three, really cool independent record stores that exist um there's lou records lou's records which is in north county and there's like um two sides to that shop there's like the the used side and then the newer side but also in the newer side you can find like the rarer stuff like the b-sides or the imports and stuff like that um that one's great and i used to like to drive up there by myself and just like shop all day kind of thing um there's also M Theory Records, which uh, used to be in South Park in San Diego, but is now in Mission Hills. And they used to have really cool like bands play there. So M Theory 
was once host of Jeremy Enoch, who we've talked about on the mm-hmm. podcast before. Um, and then there's also Record City, which is still standing. It's on Sixth Avenue in between Robinson and Pennsylvania. And that is like probably like as far as I know, like it, in my experience, like one of the better um, and bigger vintage resale record stores. So you can find a lot of cool stuff there. Um, I mentioned off the record, like I'm pretty sure that's closed now. I didn't do like a ton of research, but they did move to North Park at some point, but I don't think it's there anymore. And then there was also Thirsty Moon, which was like a teeny tiny indie record shop. And they had like mostly rare stuff. And like the guy that owned it was a regular at a coffee shop I used to work. So he mm. was like just super nice dude. Um, Kind of wonder like whatever happened to all the records that were in that store when they closed because they had some really cool rare stuff. I think uh, one of the the things that I learned um, that I found most interesting in working at the record store was was yeah okay well we didn't sell like the um, <laughs> you know the the cool you know indie rock bands and stuff like that. Um, Austin. Austin was was very much a, a music town, a live music town. So you know, there's a lot of local homegrown talent, but there's also a lot of um, you know road road bands that would come through and would always play shows in Austin. And uh, one thing that I um, did not know was a thing was the record label reps. So they had I guess marketing teams and. All over the country, again, this is not something that was a thing in El Paso because it just wasn't <laughs> it wasn't that big of a town for that. They they probably had some regional people, but um, in Austin they had people based in Austin. So whatever record label it was, like whether it was uh, Warner Brothers or Sony or you know whatever, um, they had a rep that would come by and give us you know promotional anything from promotional swag to like posters so everything you see in the record store usually is provided by the label so when you see like a big you know display when someone's new new album is out um you know they have like posters and those like album cover artwork things and they would give you like promo cds so that you could play in the store um and the case always had a hole drilled in it right so that you couldn't so you couldn't sell it but you would you would find those like the used record stores because of people like me who would just grab whatever free mm-hmm. stuff and then sell them later. Uh, but the other cool thing, the coolest thing is that they could put you on the infamous list uh, on certain shows. So they would come through and, you know, be trying to market whatever new band or whatever new group and whatever. It was maybe a pop band, but if they were on, let's say, you know, like Warner Brothers, it also had you know, a bunch of different bands and there was a cool band that I liked that was coming through that was on that label. They were able to put us on that list so we could get into the show, uh, without having to, to buy a ticket. And that worked about, I'd say about 50% of the time because, uh, for whatever reason, either they forget or they just say that they're going to do something and don't, um, about 50% of the time, like I would walk up to the, to the place and, you know, do the, the cool guy thing. Like, uh, yeah, I'm on the list and this is my name. And 50% of the time where they're like, oh yeah, okay, great. Plus one, come on through. But 50% of the time it's like, oh no, we don't have you on the list or there's no list for this. And then you'd have to <laughs> there's no either, list for this. you know, eat, eat crow and, pay whatever cover charge or you just walk away and like, ah, I really didn't want to worth it. I really didn't want to see the other half of stone temple pilots, you know, (laughs) that bad of all things. Cause they did. I think that was one of them. It was, uh, the band was called talk show and it was, I think it was actually all of stone temple pilots, but Scott Weiland. Okay. And it was, they, they did one album, I think. And it was, it was fine. It just. I just, I kind of like looking back, I'm like, you know what? I, 
like had my own thing going on and I don't I like wish that I hadn't like idolized the record store and like the resale shops people as much because I I was cool too I just um in my own way well, g- give me the an insight into the whole business aspect of it and yeah. how these are not, you know, how, I don't know, I guess how music celebrities are, are created and manufactured more than anything else. Uh, you know, how, how so much has to do with, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of money you have behind you to get mm. you, you promoted and to get you on radio and, and out playing at the right clubs at the right time um, with the right reps and or like the indie shops that would like they had an acoustic show for broken social mm-hmm. scene and that was one of the coolest shows i've ever been to because it was like you know there were just like 20 of us in m theory in south park which was tiny just watching the show mm-hmm. and it was i mean it was it felt so intimate it felt like we were just like really a part of something so um you know what what sort of started the idea for this episode anyway was uh anyway um we watched the Tower Records documentary All Things Must Pass and um and I I feel like a lot of a lot of our podcast episodes are based upon things that we've seen or heard lately um films that we've watched or mm-hmm. like things that have influenced us and and that was I think for both of us, like, even though I personally didn't work in a record store and, and you did, like, I was inspired by just being in them because mm-hmm. I've always been such, like, a music fan and I, even though I've lost touch of that over the last few years. Well, they really were destinations. Like, you you know, that's something totally. that you planned an outing around or that you wanted to do and, like, this spend weekend or whatever. all day there. And then just even even working at a at a chain store like I did, I still spent a shit ton of money you know, working there on, on stuff. Because even though we, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of the, the local things we had, we had some stuff and we could, you know, access a special ordering and, and, um, we could get it. And of course that little bit, that little nugget of a discount, um, got you, got you motivated enough to do that. Um, but you know it's interesting because again when i was in austin like tower records which the the documentary is about was one they were they were viewed although they were a little bit cooler just because of the location they were right right on campus um they had you know just a different vibe but and like the record store scene, they were still seen as the as the man or the establishment mm-hmm. because they were a chain. They were a huge corporation at that point in time, but uh, they didn't start that way. I mean, they really were right. like a, a a local, a locally grown thing that just kind of you know blossomed up. And it was almost like the people that worked there were you know living that uh, living that rock star lifestyle. Yeah, uh, just I feel like. The documentary did a really good job of explaining that kind of rise into power mm-hmm. for Tower. So, I mean, that's, you know, you should definitely watch it if you're interested in that. Right. Um, and then we also, so, I don't know, maybe now is a good, uh, a good chance to um, sort of segue into. Yeah, let's catch up with John. Are you speaking of someone who. You know, tried to uh, or spent time. Yeah, like did work building, in a record store, building uh, a record store and whether a brand he and all was that. paid or not. Right. <laughs> but, but, anyway, all right. So, uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and play that. All right. Well, I am very excited um, to finally have one of both my. I guess both my oldest best friend and then my best oldest friend, if that makes sense. <laughs> we have uh, we have John from uh, Seattle, Washington, with us. You can you can say the whole name. I never feel <laughs> I never feel fully clothed. 
I never feel fully clothed unless somebody calls me John Lloyd. Well, <laughs> that's interesting. And I've, I've talked about this before, uh, maybe even on the podcast, but you, I, I, I think was one of the only friends that just called you John. Um, you absolutely everyone, were. <laughs> everyone just called you John Lloyd. People do that to me too. Anna Lynn. Yeah. Anna Lynn. Yeah. Anna Lynn, John Lloyd. I yeah. like it. We're the, we're the dual name buddies. My sister uh, is named Leah and she also goes by Leah Lloyd almost all the time. Uh, most people call her Leah Lloyd even to this day in Albuquerque as opposed to El Paso. And uh, she and I refer to each other as John Lloyd and Leah Lloyd. It's ridiculous. <laughs> that is, that's amazing. <laughs> it's formal introductions too. Hey, Leah Lloyd, it's John Lloyd. He says, hey, John Lloyd, this is Leah Lloyd. And then we go on for the rest of our nonsense conversation. Do you shout each other's name when you enter the room, you know? Like we a have. garden party yeah. in the office? <laughs> we have. Uh, at the airport, uh, Leah came in with her kids uh, last, into 2019, so summer of 2019. And I was at the airport, and I was in the baggage claim, and I was waiting for her, and I heard, John Lloyd! And I turned around like a weirdo, and I screamed, Leah Lloyd! And she came running up and hugged me, and it was a scene, and it was ridiculous, and I had... Uh, Felt like home. Oh. <laughs> Pretty silly. Beth Darling. Touching people physically. What a. <laughs> what we really a took that. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that used to happen. Um, I miss hugs. So, in case you didn't pick up on it, John John mentioned El Paso. And so, John, is, John and I went to school together um, and um, had quite quite the number of adventures i um, mean it was the same adventure it was like <laughs> countless times but it was the same adventure i just want to be clear <laughs> pretty much yeah fans of this podcast may know john in a different way in that mm. our sign out every podcast episode is john's <laughs> mother's phrase yes which oh, is yeah. be safe be smart be sanitary we, every mm-hmm. time we would uh, run off into the night uh, after mm-hmm. you know, whatever to to embark on our shenanigans, um, John's mom would would uh, tell us to not forget the, uh, the don't the forget three the three B's. B's. That's cute. Yep. The three um, B's playing her her was it poker or solitaire that she used to play. Oh, that would be solitaire, like yes. a true sociopath. <laughs> hours at a time hours at a time hours at a time dinner was over around seven she went to bed around 11 and it was four hours of solitaire at the kitchen table with one lamp on over her head mm-hmm. and i remember yeah that was psychotic it was weird be safe be, <laughs> be, be safe and fucking sanitary and the rest of it yeah it was weird <laughs> <laughs> So in that sense, John has been with us in every episode. Right. Mm. Um, so John and I would... Past lives. Right. We would uh, go on our adventures and, of course, uh, like like teenagers, just listen to very loud music. So um, we're both into music. Really, and it's... really loud and really, really... Uh, I just want to point out for all the listeners, uh, really loud and really abrasive music like Chick Corea. <laughs> or Jacko Pastorius, <laughs> Dave. What was what was the drummer's name? Dave Weckle. Dave Weckle. Yes. Dave so, yeah. we're the the topic of this episode is is record stores and and uh, the excuse I used to get John uh, to talk to us is because uh, we both uh, worked or at least spent quite a bit of time in in different record stores, different types of record stores. Uh, so uh, I wanted to get his um, memories about that. But yeah, we we were both into a lot of the same kinds of music, but we each had like our own sort of uh, lanes that we would go in up on our own or, you know, the, the few times we hung out with other people. John was a much yep. more accomplished musician um, nope. in terms of, <laughs> well, you, you're big time. You had shows. Play the triangle. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Headshot. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so what um, would you like to talk, tell us about the, um, the record store that you frequented or hung out at slash worked, volunteered? Yeah, um, there was, well, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of record stores that I've loved and spent tremendous amounts of time in prior to, uh, I don't know, the late aughts when uh, I decided, I mean, I'll still come to record stores, but I have to sell off this collection. I can't, I couldn't justify, it was lots of things in my life at that moment. I mean, the, the easiest fruit to grab in this story is we lived in a 600 square foot house that had zero space for anything other than, you know, furniture and a dog, a big dog. So uh, I ended up selling off all of the trophies from all of my record store adventures. And I don't look back on that with regret. I'm, I'm glad I sold it all off because it, it fed us for a little bit. <laughs> that was important when the economy collapsed in the late aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly than that, um, uh, you know, it, it, it just, it was, that was a turning point for me personally. So it, the record stores were definitely part of the first phase of my life. I, I don't frequent record stores as often. I go now and it's, it all, it's all nostalgia, but I don't purchase a lot anymore from record stores, which is a, a, a piece of real, both regret and, and also practicality because we don't have a lot of room for more records now. And, and, I'm, and I'm an obsessive compulsive type. So I'm going to, if I open up a floodgate, it's going to keep going. It's mm-hmm. why I have to be careful with alcohol. It's why I have to be careful with any kind of an obsession because I will, I will continue ad infinitum. It, it doesn't end. So that having been said, um, I, I don't shop there a lot. and I don't shop at record stores a lot, but there were so many record stores that were really important to me. Um, Sound Exchange in Austin, Andy, you, rec- you I don't know, d- recommended, you walked me into Sound Exchange when you moved to, Austin in 95 mm-hmm. or four, 94, you went to Austin and um, sound exchange in Austin was really a fantasy land to me. I could not believe that. I, I so I don't know, I guess to answer this question, I kind of want to <laughs> give your listeners like a little bit of insight into what El Paso is. And I don't know that yeah. you've spent a lot of time building up the lore of El Paso, Texas. Not really, uh, not really but, but yeah, that's no. definitely something to go into. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I think it's a crucial piece to understand uh, the record store there and what it meant to me, though I never worked there. I was there always. And, and it was important. And that's really the one we're going to talk about, but El Paso uh, even back then was a city of almost a million people mm-hmm. that is so unique in that you could have that many people in the same location and still feel so completely separated from the rest of the world mm-hmm. that it, it it was a there was a real dissonance between what El Paso was and what El Paso should have been. And I couldn't identify that then. And I'm sure you couldn't identify that then. But that was our issue with that place and why we strove to run away from it so badly because it was it it was this giant it was this giant city in terms of well, both population and geography right. that's in the middle of the of the same country that everybody else is but man the the difference between i'll say austin and and el paso in terms of its connection to the rest of the world was so vast that walking into sound exchange in austin in 94 made my i mean it, it blew my mind i couldn't believe that i could just find something that was curated by these the people you know the custodians of the record store their taste their taste making status was a thing for me Mm -hmm. um and so you know well uh, you know i went back to el paso i went to austin went back to el paso went to austin went back to el paso there was a lot of that push pull um i always ended up back in el paso for a variety of reasons but um, when this guy, Lauren moved to El Paso and I saw him at a show, he was at a punk show and he was this guy, he was this new guy and it's El Paso. So it's a new white guy. What the fuck? 
this guy's here? Where's he from? Who's this asshole? And I fearlessly went up to him and I said, who are you? Which is, you know, <laughs> you want to meet fucking people? And you're that's, like that's a great opener. Old? That's a great right, who the fuck are you? <laughs> in it. I know my tone of voice. I know I wasn't that <laughs> asshole, but I also know, man, I, I came in hot. Um, but luckily, he was he had just moved like a week before from Pensacola, Florida to El Paso. Now, Pensacola, Florida is dwarfed by El Paso, but my demented mind knowing what I knew about El Paso. Like, why would anybody move from Pensacola to El Paso? <laughs> I could not understand. There must be a cool punk rock scene there. And there was in El Paso. It was a bigger scene in El Paso than in, a, excuse me, than in Pensacola. But I couldn't fathom why somebody would come to El Paso. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got his lore and understand why his, where his, his girlfriend was from there and he was coming there to kind of achieve his dream of opening a record store, he hadn't opened yet. I... I might as well have taken on the weight of, of of his entire existence onto my shoulders, which isn't healthy, but fuck it. That's what I did. Um, yeah, it's a stupid move, but I did it. And um, I guess um, he he needed help in getting it going. And I needed some kind of connection to something bigger than El Paso. And so for a solid year, I was there every day and I'd paint walls. I'd paint the sign outside. Um, Mm. I'd put up posters. I stocked records. I fucking worked for free at the register for like two weeks straight when he went to Albuquerque to try and get a job with a I don't remember. It does. I don't remember the story entirely, so we don't have to get into all the details. But he, he left for a couple of weeks and just let me run the store. I was taking cash and checks and putting them in his register and making his bank deposits. Never once thinking anything that a, a, an immature kid from El Paso probably should have thought, which is, why don't you pocket some money? Why don't you? What? I, there was no. There was such an innocence and a zeal for the for this institution that was moving into El Paso that didn't exist really. There were record stores, certainly there were corporate chains and there there was a head shop with a super creative name. Andy, have you talked about it? I I have not. And I'm I'm glad you're bringing that up because I I did want to just talk about the landscape of types of record stores that were there and which was not much, but. Yeah, there wasn't much. Do you want me to take that or do you? Yeah, yeah, please. Okay. Um, Beyond the corporate stores that were there, so, you know, FYI or FYE for your entertainment, FYE or or Musicland, there was no Sam Goody. There was little little shops in the malls of Mm -hmm. of El Paso. They didn't sell anything other than, you know, top 40 stuff. Or they sold some stuff. It wasn't a lot um, for somebody who wanted to rail against a system he didn't understand. Um, but there was also the head shop in town called the Headstand, which was such a shitty name for a head shop. You want to buy your water pipes and a fucking carcass record or a you know, brujeria record or a dead Kennedy's record. You wanted, you had to go to the Headstand and, and it sucked because it was not well curated. It was any used record they could get. They sold um, any new records they got in were the lowest hanging fruit from the punk rock perspective or right. an independent music perspective, because that was what I was looking for was independent music, not necessarily just punk rock, but most of what I was able to to pull from inventories of stores was punk rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of became my identity. And as I do with obsessive compulsive shit, I needed a place where I could solely purchase punk rock records. And when Lauren opened up, that was, that was the store. Holy shit. All of my OCD fucking itches were scratched. He had great taste and he knew how to run a record store and knew how to get what you needed in and knew how to anticipate what you wanted 
which is what I really needed from a record store. Um, so that was that was why I got involved, and I worked for free there. The store was called um, Gilman's Record Lair because Lauren was obsessed with the old Universe Universal Monsters franchises, mm-hmm. and the creature from the Black Lagoon was known. Not the not the creature from the Black Lagoon, because that's another thing. <laughs> but the creature from the Black Lagoon was uh, his favorite of the Universal Monsters, and he was known within the movies as the Gill Man. Um, so that was what he named it. And it had a very 60s, you know, it was very stylized. Not well done, but high concept. He had a high concept, but he didn't have the experience or the skill to really make it, um, you know, as flashy as I think a larger city might have demanded. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's that's what its benefit was, that it was this really homegrown thing. Like literally the sign was painted by me and him in 30 degree winter weather in El Paso with, you know, really gnarly lead paint, <laughs> oil paint. We were on a ladder. I remember he pulled his father-in-law's pickup truck onto the sidewalk and we put a ladder in the bed of the truck propped up against the side of the building so we could get high enough up to paint the sign that was already affixed to the side of the building that was a florist. We painted it um, with stencils and, and this thick oil lead paint um, with just, just fucking words, Gilman's record layer. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was a great experience. It meant a lot to me. And it really set the stage for all of my future for the, you know, the next 10 to 12 years it set the stage for what I would gravitate towards both in Austin and in Seattle as I kind of grew into adulthood um, mm-hmm. and, and came to really value record stores. So that was uh, definitely a, a much different experience. Um, and, you know, we talked about some other things in there too, but um, you building a store like from the ground up mm-hmm. um definitely I can't, I can't even imagine you know fathom what that um so much work yeah what that's even like i mean it's one thing to uh um you know just get a job somewhere and then show up and it's like all right here it is um but we did after we watched a documentary we did sort of think about some other movies that featured characters that worked in record stores which yeah. which spawned this which is why we you know sought um sought people out that worked in them and so uh what did what did we end up watching uh so in chronological order from the date of release we watched pretty in pink then we watched empire records and then we watched high fidelity and I will say, in addition to just pop culture portraying uh, working in a record store as cool, I think films obviously also mm-hmm. portray like these were not <laughs> these were not outcasty characters right. by any by any means. They were obviously they were the lead lead actors. Well, I think you know, like anything, music buffs in general like or people that are into music especially like like those that would be passionate enough to work in a record store like those are the cool kids and i know that keeps that phrasing keeps coming up but that's that's the truth you know there's just this weird um and even i developed it I don't know. I guess you would call it an air of superiority or arrogance um, because you get so you, you take ownership so much of your, of your perspective and what you deduce is good and quality and Andy's picks and we're, yeah, worthy of that. And you, so all, all the characters in all these movies, it, they worked in like cool hip, indie record stores where they could have a lot of say in not just, you know, maybe the appearance, but their own, you know, promotional things, but things like picks 
you know that was always uh that was always a uh, a thing i don't think we got we ever got a like an andy's pick shelf at uh, Musicland, because uh, there just wasn't it was it was prescribed like every month we would get uh we'd we'd have to do the new ad campaign and so they would have a diagram of the whole store and they would tell you okay in area one this is the feature area the new garth brooks is coming out and so that's what you're going to put in there area two this is the top 20 this is what's in the top 20 this month and so it wasn't there was very little room for for personal creative input and Mm -hmm. imagination um but so people like in in especially um didn't really do talk about too much in pretty and pink but definitely empire records and uh high fidelity um there there was a lot of their own personalities reflected in in the store oh for sure i think definitely in both of those it i feel like in in pretty and pink like andy who's molly ringwald uh didn't work very hard she just kind of stood at the counter <laughs> whenever yeah. we saw her in the record store and it was more like I- any iona who was yeah. doing the work who was like the her mentor uh-huh. basically uh played by Annie Potts. Annie Potts. Yeah. She she's such an icon. I love her character. Mm-hmm. Um So there's not like a there's not like a ton of work going on in tracks in right. Pretty in Pink. Um I feel like at, at least in Empire Records like that's who work the hardest as far as the employees go. Mm-hmm. Even though I mean cuz you see them kind of working in the background. They're working in the background like you know handling the the sort of the the like the maintenance and it's by far the biggest store too yeah um of the three films and they were actually doing stuff at the register i guess (laughs) right (laughs) like a big thing well it shows like a montage of them actually doing their jobs um but of course you know as as a person as people that work in like customer service or retail we spent the whole movie criticizing like oh why are there so many people in the morning shift like you don't need that that much coverage (laughs) And then I thought it was so funny. I was like, um, Mark, who's Ethan Embry's character, who's kind of like a slacker. Like, why is he an opener? Right. Because <laughs> he seems like he would be like the swing shift, like the yeah. the afternoon shift guy. Right. We had, uh, I remember our music land was a very small operation. So the non-holiday season, because the holiday season, it's just, it's bananas for everyone, but the non-holiday season, there were there was a five-member staff. So we had two two full-time people, the manager and assistant manager, and then we had um, like a a middle of the road person who wasn't quite a manager but had the keys and could open and close, like Lucas. Right, and then you'd have uh, and then you have part-timers like the rest of the the fill-in crew um so you know you really didn't need on a given day you didn't need more than you know three or four employees to work so um you didn't have (laughs) your entire staff um, working every day um but then which is interesting because that kind of brings up high fidelity because it's like he says I heard these guys part time and they just started showing up every day. Yeah, and I don't I don't think I ever wanted to hang out on my day off at the mall or at the music right. land. If I did it's because I, I was going to pick up my paycheck or I don't I don't even know. I had some other mall business going on there. It's kind of like the equivalent of going back to your high school after you graduated. It's like, what, what are you doing? Just, just hanging out? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Okay. I kind of felt like from that movie from Empire Records that, like Empire Records was more of like an indie store, despite how big it was. Mm-hmm. And then Music Town was meant to, Music Town was who was taking over Empire Records right. was meant to like kind of represent Tower Records. Yeah, like the more um, corporate. Because of the coloring, especially of right. Music Town, which is like the red and the yellow. Yep, and they were um, again as a contrast between between that and how 
how Tower Records started, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, became uh, became the establishment. Um, the High Fidelity, so like Championship Vinyl, right? right and High Fidelity was as small as tracks in Pretty in Pink, but um, but you know it has Rob, who's the owner, which is John Cusack, the main character. Um, and then the two employees, which are Jack mm-hmm. Black and I forget the other guy's name, but, uh, Barry and Dick. Yeah. And, uh, and they are so snobby to their customers. Right. It's like almost like they don't want anyone's money. They like drive everyone away. Well, that's what, that's what I was referring to where you, d- you develop this, this sense of arrogance and superiority Yeah. because you think the music that you like is superior and, Everyone, everyone that doesn't listen to that music and whatever everyone else listens to sucks. But then, and if everyone should, did listen to it, it would be too mainstream, right? So when you when they started doing that, and one of your favorite bands signed to a major label, you call them sellouts, right? <laughs> like, I'm guilty what, of that. No, yeah, and and I it, we even I don't know if it made it on the recording, but. Uh, we even alluded to that when talking to John about pop music, about how our our oh, just yeah. our appreciation, I think, has has um, has increased for for things like that. Just because you know everything has its place. It's well, it's fun. I think you know as you get older, you kind of grow out of your snobbier aspects too, because you're like, what? It actually doesn't matter. Like it it doesn't right. matter if you're perceived as cool anymore mm-hmm. but there's just i don't know I, I don't even it's like we were talking about before i don't even understand how aspiring musicians even have a glimmer of of hope because there's just it's there's not just so much content and so much music out there but anyone can get anything from anywhere yeah and so to be able even to compete with that, I mean, I don't even know how you, I don't even know. I mean, with the exception of of like some of those record stores that are still indie record stores that are still, I don't know how you even plan a marketing campaign, and especially now since you can't tour, uh, do anything. It's just, I wonder how many we you know we talk a lot about how many restaurants and and stores have closed because of of COVID and closing down. I wonder how many, how many uh, bands, <clears throat> how many bands and musicians are just like, well, you know, we, cause that, that's touring is how they make a lot of their money now mm-hmm. instead of record sales. Yeah. That's, that's super sad. Borders was a good place to, yeah. Well, and they got really rare to, stuff sometimes. Yeah. Like, they got really cool imports. Like, I found, a, like, a Japanese Yola Tango import that was, like, super, super hard to find. And it was kind of pricey. I ended up not buying it. And then somebody else bought it. And they were like, oh, yeah, that was, like, worth way more than what we sold it for. Mm-hmm. Damn it. I found some, like, really cool, like, rare Joy Division there. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. They're, um, the, the one by my, well, closest to my house in Austin had... Um, a really nice box set collection. Mm. So anytime I, w- <laughs> not anytime I was in the mood for a box set, but you know, for <laughs> for for gifts and things like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and some of the more they had more of, um, you know, jazz and classical. Anytime and, I was in the mood for a like box that. set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> box set Thursdays. Yeah. You don't have the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the complete Hanson recordings. <laughs> Somebody just told me that the the newest Hanson record is actually really good. You know, I am maybe we should look. Into I that. am not going to shit on Hanson at all um, uh, because I think even even their debut album is is worthy of of some kudos uh, in in terms of songwriting and lyric writing. They're kids. Maybe we should uh, listen to that. 
<laughs> That's a great idea. Let's do it <laughs> live. Right no, because then we'd have to get the rights. <laughs> Worth it. Worth it. So, uh, so before we run off to go listen to the uh, the Hanson recordings, <laughs> the complete Hanson, the complete Hanson. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just wanted to say. Uh, if you watch the video that I made, those really cool little like rosebud looking glasses that I got and the rose water that I used for the drink this week, you can find those items over at Collins and Coop, which is a local uh, San Diego proprietor, but available online as well. And you can use our discount code HHH for 15% off your entire purchase. And thanks again to John for joining us, in the words of his mother. Yes. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, We did talk about that. Uh, Be safe. Be smart. And be sanitary. Thank you for listening to Homebound Happy Hour. Stream or download episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it. Give our Facebook page a like at Homebound Happy Hour and follow on Instagram at Homebound Happy Hour Podcast.